to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with my good friend, um, Martin Lumberjack Willis. <laughs> you never know what you're going to say, and uh, I just told him, I'm actually, for the listening audience, wondering, no, it's not just because I live in Maine, but um, I'm on the road today, and I try to find Wi-Fi, and I did find it at a Lowe's lumber and all that and i'm sitting on a pile of lumber right outside the door <laughs> so i can get a wi-fi signal that's so, so funny well thank the you jack yeah. thank you for going to such great efforts and be careful <laughs> yes i know i might buy something yeah so or i might get um, pulled away with a lumber yeah that's the scary part so our show today, so our guest today is Lee Spiegel. Exciting, exciting for me because it's always fun to talk to him. And yes. uh, of course, when we have him on, it means we're usually catching up on some UFO stuff, which is what we're doing. But we're also catching up on hit the super exciting project he's currently working on, which is this documentary with James Fox. And uh, it doesn't even have a title. Uh, we'll talk about some of the titles that they've used, or one of the big titles they used in the past, and and why, but how this, the the um, scope of this project has um, greatly increased uh, since that time. So, yeah, very exciting. It is, yeah. And when you have the budget that they've had to work with, they can just do things right and and take their time. And you know, James has made. You know, two of the greatest films, I think, in ufology, and um, I'm sure this is going to be, this is supposed to surpass that, so I'm really excited to see it myself. Yeah, you know, and that would be saying something, because like you said, he's made two of the best, but, uh, and we'll hear uh, from Lee today, it sounds like they are on track to do something even better. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Cool stuff. I'm sure, I'm hoping he teases at least the opening, the opening of that movie. He does. He he's yeah. very teasy <laughs> in the interview. Yeah, he's a yeah. teaser. That guy. I so, know what a guy. Uh, UFO news. That's what we're here to talk to at the during the first segment of the show. Uh, what you got for me there, buddy? Well, I'm gonna. You know, usually I read stories and things like that, but actually, I'd like to report on. Um, I was uh, this weekend. Just got back. Uh, uh, late last night, early morning, um, from the, well, it's right across from Pennsylvania, right right next to Philly. It's Cherry Hill, New Jersey, at the MUFON Symposium. So I was there um, for the event. The The issue was I went, you know, for, for two reasons. First of all, to see and talk. Um, they had this one-on-one uh, with Louis Elizondo, uh, like a dinner you could actually buy a ticket for. And... Also, he spoke. So I went for that, and also I went to see Selma Siddick, one of the Ariel School uh, students, a uh, wonderful 
Cal. So I I went for those reasons. Now, I got to tell you, going south from I left Boston at 10 a.m. And my GPS said I would arrive in Cherry Hill at uh, 2.30 p.m. Um, so as I'm driving, it gets longer and longer and longer. It gets, Then it got to 7 o'clock. And, oh, no, I was worried I was going to miss Luis Elizondo, and I sure did. I didn't get there till 10.30. 10.30? Yes, I oh missed everything. There was gosh. the rain, the rain and the traffic. It was just sitting. I have, you know, a couple of videos of me just sitting. You know, at the George Washington Bridge, just parked there for like two hours. Oh you know, my just, gosh! Just it's, so eight hours longer than you expected. Yeah. Oh my so, gosh. So I, you know, I was really discouraged by that, but I did. Um, luckily, I had a wonderful conversation and in, in, with Louis Elizondo um, just in the hallway. You know, in, in the hotel, we just talked, and uh, you know, I broke the ice. Said, you know, I'm a friend of Alejandro Rojas. He's on my show. I'm on his show. And he goes, oh, that guy. He says, I had lunch with him. He said, what a great guy. He really thinks the world of you, thinks a lot of you. So um, anyway, so he and I had this wonderful conversation. It was about 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer or so, but mostly about antiques. We never talked <laughs> UFOs the entire time. He's a he's an avid collector, and, and i um, really oh, into a lot cool. of the things that he collects. So um and so anyway, it was a great conversation, but I was saving all my questions for him. You and I spoke about questions um, for that night, the one on one, you know, situation. And uh, then I saw him outside, you know, quite a bit with the phone, uh, talking on the phone and hanging up, calling someone else and calling and calling. He didn't look he looked kind of uneasy. And next thing you know, hmm. he was gone. He had to leave for an emergency. So that event of the one on one, you know, the, the dinner one on one conversations never happened. So, never got to ask him those questions. What a bummer. Well, I hope everything's okay, like you didn't have any kind of family issue. Yeah, I know. Uh, no one really had any details about it that they would share anyway, so. Hmm. And then, of course, you had the conspiracy people talking, you know, in the hallway saying, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, the government pulled him away, didn't want anyone to get too close. Now, I didn't get to see his talk. Uh, some people say that there wasn't really too much revealed um, in particular. Uh, most people said that. Um, but, you know, there was other opinions. There's someone else, uh, Randy Nickerson, who you, you know very well, um, you know, thought that this whole situation was groundbreaking. And, and he was very optimistic by, you know, the whole situation with Elizondo being there at the MUFON Symposium and all that. So, mm -hmm. so that heard, was good. I've heard a little bit of feedback like that as well. And I'm I'm just really curious. I can't wait to see the talk. I wasn't able to yet. I was going to watch the live stream, but I couldn't. Uh, and I wonder, because I don't know, this is a historic situation, especially for our field. So it's almost like, you know, him speaking in person. Um, like I said, it, it's historic for his field. It's almost like he, anything he, he says is really important so i wonder <clears throat> i just it makes me curious i think some people had some huge expectations that probably weren't right. met um but I, yeah I, i'm so curious to hear his talk yeah i think a lot of it had to do with expectations they thought you know something was going to be revealed that mm -hmm. no one else would hear or something along those lines you know or you know something like something that he had not already spoken about would be yeah. spoken about for the first time. And uh, I 
suppose none of that happened. I didn't see it. I didn't hear much about it otherwise. Yeah. Other than what I had mentioned already. Because I so, know, I don't know if you heard much about it, the Coast to Coast episode he did recently with George Knapp was, was pretty good, and he did reveal a few things there. And I think that, um, you know, for these sort of things, like what we'll do is at the Congress is have somebody interview him, and that probably would have been a good idea. He probably would have been, um, he would have revealed more. Like, you know, the interviewer would have been able to ask some more pointed questions and maybe coax him into sharing some more juicy stuff uh-huh speaking of juicy stuff i'd like to talk mm. um about i do have it's actually on my website podcastufo.com if i can do a little plug of that mm-hmm. um but i also i have a video interview of uh that i did at that location with selma Siddick and mm. randy randy nickerson and um uh the first interview i did with her um you know i had a lot of criticism about certain things or you know, and some of it was good criticism. Well, you had technical problems, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. Terrible. But anyway, this interview, I had my um, HD camera all set up, and it's uh, it's really great. It's on YouTube, and as well, you can see it on my website. But I'm oh, telling cool. you, she is just an extraordinary. Um, she just articulates the event so well. And mm. so the question that someone said, hey, she didn't have telepathic any telepathic communication and other people did. Don't you think that's a really good question to ask her? So I did. I asked her that question. Why do you think you didn't have it? And she kind of revealed that maybe there's something she doesn't know about that. Maybe it was really hard for her to break her, her gaze, the eye lock that she had with this creature. Hmm. And she said it, it was exhausting and it was really hard for her to do that. But once she did, you know, she kind of got away to go check on her brother and sister to see if they were okay. But she describes the moment that this thing was with this encounter was happening with the being. And it's really fascinating. So, um, uh, and she is, she's kind of afraid to do any regression hypnotherapy right now, but she may someday. Did you make it to Just her talk? I did. Yes. And, and I got to tell you, it was good, but I got to tell you, I, I like the interview I did with her much better. Oh, okay. Um, cool. And just because I, I think more was revealed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she was, um, you know, she was a little bit nervous. And she was, you know, reading from, uh, from, from notes. And just to have her, she's such a great speaker to when she speaks naturally. And, and I just thought it was a much better, um, you know, to have a natural interview. Yeah, you know what? Her. Usually... Interviews are better, especially with people who are not normally speakers, who uh, who are witnesses or or have something really interesting to say. Normally, um, it is better to have someone interview them. Um, plus, it's helpful to know that you know you feel that your interview got more info because then people can just go to your YouTube and watch that. But the exception to the rule was um, Emily Trim, another one of the witnesses. Yes. She actually went up and did her own thing and, and read from notes, and she was great. She she did a great job that, at the UFO that Congress. That stood out to me more than any other event that whole that whole uh, UFO Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, she was emotional, but I mean, she got a standing ovation. I remember oh, yeah. that whole thing. That was just amazing. That was a really cool. Yeah, you're you're right. I forgot. I forgot she did. She was reading. Yeah. But then she she totally 
was uh, it was so heartfelt. It was just amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. That, yeah, that was, was cool. Something. That was yeah. like one of the best moments at the Congress. But awesome. That's mm-hmm. really good to hear because that was the other person I was really interested in hearing was her because uh, the Ruwa case is, you know, and I guess we should bring people up to spa- speed. What we're talking about is this case that happened in, in Ruwa, um, South Africa, uh, what well, is Zimbabwe, actually, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. the aerial school. So there were these kids. They were very young. Um, do you remember their age? Uh, they Well, she was 11. There were okay. younger ones than her. There were older ones than her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know exactly how many grades were at that particular school. There's 230 students at the school, and about six, 62 of them did drawings. So they say a lot of times that there was only 62 witnesses, but um, it's probably more than that. R- Randy was saying it's probably more than that. Mm-hmm. It's just that the ones that actually were interviewed and did the drawings, that count was 62. Mm-hmm. And what these kids and, say they saw was this craft land um, near the, near the school. They watched it. Uh, most of them. I don't know if all of them, but I think most of them report some sort of creature um, coming yes. out of it and looking at them. And, Maybe uh, multiple creatures. It's hard. No one can. That's the kind of a, the controversy. Some saw two. Some thought they saw more. She remembers one, but she thinks if there was more, they looked alike. Mm-hmm. You know, very much alike. Yeah. And uh, do you want me to just describe how she described? The sure, that'd be creature? great. Yeah. Okay. So she said. First of all, the unusual thing was it had a pigment, a skin color pigment that she said she had never, uh, could never imagine or had never seen anything like it. Uh, it was almost like a, she said in the first interview I did with her, it was almost like a porcelain. Um, wow. Had large, a large head. It was very small in stature, maybe four feet. A very large head um, and, and black eyes. And... Um, and then it was wearing what looked like a scuba suit. She said it might have been shiny. It just may have been the way the light was hitting it. The sunlight was hitting it. But um, so it, she said the easiest way to describe it was like a skin diver's, you know, rubber suit. And um, also, but when she said that she she was only four feet from it, her in particular, and when she locked um, gaze with it, um, you know, it was just really, it really just the fact that it really drained her and she said she never remembers ever being more exhausted that day after that um the the day after that happened in, in her in her entire life she had never been that tired wow yeah really interesting case and and um it also it came to fame because uh john mack a harvard professor uh who was into this sort of thing you know as part of a documentary was sent out there to investigate and uh, this was part of the uh, investigation, and these children, their testimony was recorded, and it was phenomenal. And um, yeah, really interesting case. Very consistent. Mm-hmm. And now the really interesting thing about the film that Ra- uh, Randy Nickerson is doing, the Ariel phenomenon, is that now it goes, you know, twenty years later, or yeah, I think it's about yeah, it was nineteen ninety four. Um, so twenty four years later, but. You know, it's taken 10, 10 years to make this film, so yeah. it depends on what stages he interviews people. But it has shaped all of their lives. Everyone that he interviews, it has actually changed, you know, um, some of them has changed greatly. And some of them, yeah. uh, some of them took like, 
a possible like demon or devil. They they have that kind mm. of feeling about it. Um, but I think you know one of the most interesting things of that case is that multiple children at the time said that you know we it was telling us we had to take care of our planet. Yeah. You know, and and uh, they had never really thought those thoughts before. Mm-hmm. And another curious thing is they said there's no one ever saw any TV with any UFO or any aliens. They had yeah. no idea what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. It was fresh. They had absolutely no idea what it was they were looking at. Yeah, really cool stuff. So yeah. I guess a couple other things um, because it's been a, a little bit, I guess, since I've done a show. The last one was Stanton Friedman at Roswell. But, um, oh, and I do want to add more, uh, just to, to clarify, you know, you brought up a good point that this whole thing, um, is part of, and even Emily Trim is Randall Nickerson's film. He's working on a film that'll hopefully be out a documentary, um, in the not too distant future, but, uh, it also will be part of, uh, this project with James Fox that Lee's working on. We don't talk about that in the interview, but they have talked about that in the past. So that's right. exciting. Yeah, um, there's some clips from there added in and yeah, a few things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So cool stuff. I guess what I, I wanted to mention was uh, the Blue Book television show. So oh, I was yeah. at Comic-Con, um, for those who may not know, and I've got a lot of really cool stuff from Comic-Con, and I'll kind of give you guys an outline of that that you should go check out. But one of the really cool things that I did there was, uh, and I was there for Den of Geek doing a bunch of stuff, was went to the Blue Book Activation. So I don't know why they call exhibits activations there, but they do. But this was... <laughs> This cool exhibit, and it didn't look like much from outside. It was kind of these three kind of shipping containers uh, with Project Blue Book written on it. And I've got a picture in, in my Den of Geek story, and I've posted on my social media this this tarp covering what looks like a UFO. And uh, you go through, and it was really, really cool. So it, it's for this new TV show, Blue Book, that's coming out on the History Channel. That is really about the Blue Book cases, and it stars, the starring character is playing, portraying uh, Dr. Hynek, who was the uh, a professor, an astronomer, and the consultant f- to the Blue Book from the 47 to 69 on UFOs, began as a skeptic, ended as uh, someone who thinks this is a real phenomena. Um, I wrote a story about kind of his background and everything on Den of Geek you could check out, too. But uh, the activation was really cool, and they uh, what you would do, you walk into the first part, and they debrief you on what Blue Book was and everything, and they ask you how much you knew, and, and they also ask, have you seen a UFO? Uh, to my surprise, hmm. I was they give you one-on-one with someone when you first walk in and sit down, but I was listening to the people around because, you know, that was an interesting question, and sure enough, practically everybody around me, including one of my buddies from Den of Geek, uh, said, yeah, I've seen a sighting. And, of course, I said yes, too, because I have had a sighting. So they ask you to describe it, and they, they use the actual report form. Um, I did a Facebook Live on this, too, so people can see this on my Facebook, uh, my whole visit through there. But they use the form that they used in Blue Book, and they tell you, okay, we're going to give you a sketch of your sighting once you're done. So you mm-hmm. go through this whole activation, which is cool. There, They do some audio from the show. The show sounds great. It sounds very well produced. And the cases that they're covering are real Blue Book cases. Some we know. Lubbock Lights. Um, yeah. 
the Flatwoods Monster. Uh, another one is the Gorman um, uh, Dogfight, which is this uh, really cool situation. I'm going to write about this uh, really cool sighting where essentially this guy in a P-51 uh, Mustang and like really early, late 40s, uh, got in a kind of a dogfight with a UFO. Um, and then, you know, you go through, you send a message to space. Uh, through yeah. and, and you really do. You get a fashion one and they're really sending it to space. I warned the aliens personally uh, <laughs> to stay away, uh, that yeah. humans are scary. Uh, yeah. You know, they, I think they're kind of scary, don't you? And you say, yeah, and you, I'm just, I hope you said they taste awful too, right? No, I, but I yeah. did mention, you know, um, about the human diet. I did mention that. I said, many of them eat the flesh of other earthlings. Isn't that gross? And that's, I actually that'll, put that in my message. That'll keep them away. Yeah. Yeah. Because like to me, that that's pretty bad. And hopefully the aliens will be the same way and be like, oh my gosh, those barbarians, are, they're animals. Let's stay away yeah. from there. <laughs> so, Depending on what they eat, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I, yeah, I don't want them to think humans sound delicious. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you can see my sighting on openminds.tv. I posted uh, the picture that they drew for me and uh, a little history on, on that sighting that I had. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this TV show. In fact, Lee and I speak about it, about it in this interview. Yeah. Yeah. I saw his email he sent out to everyone all excited about it. Yep. So I also, um, got to interview, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, not about UFOs, uh, about the new series of Cosmos coming up, but it was really funny. People get so frustrated and i i posted this comment i don't know if you saw this about science and it was really popular what was it and uh essentially it was in reply because people were really upset you know uh some people oh neil degrasse tyson doesn't believe in ufos why are you promoting him he believes this or he says yeah. that um and of course what he believes and says is based on science and so i essentially said uh, just to be clear, everyone, I am a man of science, and um, if oh, I did see that. Yes, if yes, science offends you, then yeah. I, I can't. There's nothing I can do for you. Essentially, if you're offended by the natural world that we live in, because uh, there's a lot of denial about what about science. You know, when majority of scientists are telling you something, uh, these are not people who are friends or who are colluding or work for the same people. Scientists are spread throughout the world. They compete with each other. They, they, um, uh, to check each other's work. And I mean, it's a very open process. Um, and it's supposed to be open to change. Yeah, and it, if something is proven wrong or right. Exactly. That's a great point. So, um, I don't know if you, if you're curious. I subscribe to science. So, um, just to clarify with people, I'm not a science basher or i do not believe science is some big conspiracy right but that's where it is but anybody can check out that interview it was still a lot of fun and um i don't know otherwise for ufo news there oh there was uh, one other piece of news george knapp let out which was essentially aren't oh yes um a document for uh harry reed arguing um to get 
kind of more secrecy for their UFO program and to keep it going on. Uh, he released that. Now, we've already seen bits of this document or had it described in other articles. But another thing that To The Stars did is they announced that they're building a lab like to examine materials, including these alleged UFO materials they found. So um, really interesting stuff. So you can find more about that at To The Stars and, of course, at KLAS where George Knapp writes. Well, you know, a lot of people have been questioning, you know, why do they need money and you yeah. know, blah blah blah. And here's a here's a good um, here's a good exhibit of what they're they're yeah. actually doing something with the funds. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we're out know. of time. Uh, thank you so much All for right. being on the show again this morning. You bet. Always fun. And thanks for taking the time. I hope you didn't get any splinters um, anywhere. <laughs> No, I almost got hauled away a couple times. I'm sure you heard it. The, <laughs> I did the noise. hear that. Yeah. All right, yeah. great, thanks. Well, let's get to our interview with Mr. Lee Spiegel right after this break. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. If you hear a little bit of excitement in my voice... It's because I am here with Lee Spiegel. Well, wow. What an intro. I I didn't know that the the mere mention of my name gets you all shivery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, are you kidding? I get so excited. I'm like, that's my buddy, Lee. Well, I'm I'm always happy to be with you on the radio, in person. Um, You're you're one of my favorite people in the field, and I love what you're doing now. Mm. All the all the, the the stories you've been coming up with, I'm I'm very proud to know you. You're doing a great job. Well, ditto, my friend, on the radio. Whoa! <laughs> and in fact, you know, I did a talk recently, and you were in it. It turned out. Oh yeah. Um, I think it was Spielberg. Oh, Roswell. Yeah, at Roswell, I did my Spielberg talk. And, of course, I have that video with you in it. And it's fun because uh, you're talking about your interactions with uh, Steven Spielberg when he offered to help you all uh, with your U.N. initiative back in the 70s. And, um, you know, you kind of chuckle along the way. And it was fun because when I showed that video, people were chuckling along with you. So uh, just so you know. um, Were they making making fun of me? No, they were (laughs) laughing with you, not at you. I don't Uh, think. (laughs) So, um, but that was a lot of fun. But you're always working on exciting things. Um, I, you know, we've probably shared this last time. You no longer are writing with the Huffington Post, right. but you are now working on something that is equally, if not more exciting, with uh, an equally, well, with a more exciting, even though I love uh, Ariana, who isn't even at the Huffington Post, and, you know, <laughs> your your old editor, um, Buck. But... yes. Now you're working with some really cool people. So you're working on James Fox's new documentary. Yes, I am. I, I am uh, co-producing with James uh, a new documentary film. It's going to be like the third installment of, of what I like to call his UFO trilogy or series, which began with the first film, uh, Out of the Blue, and that was followed by I Know What I Saw. And, and then we're going to bring the third one, to the public. Uh, hopefully it'll be ready by the end of this year or early next year, right about the same time 
when um, there's going to be a new uh, History Channel series about Project Blue Book that's starting to get some previews out there, which I, I'm a little excited about. Mm-hmm. Me too. So uh, the, I think everybody's curious about uh, what this will be about. Of course, the original premise and the original title was seven, <clears throat> 701. Based uh, off of yes. uh, you know the the seven hundred and one unsolved blue book cases. Speaking right. of blue book, um, however, I think you know as many of us researchers know, seven hundred one was kind of an arbitrary number. I, none of us can even figure out why they threw that number out. Yeah, yeah. but it's about right. You know, six hundred or so unknowns that blue book had. But that's these aren't just blue book cases, or are they even a minority of blue book cases? You're covering a lot of stuff now, right? We're we're covering stuff that that goes back at least back to uh, to the 1940s, and and m- moving uh, all the way up through the 90s and into the present day, uh, and not just American UFO accounts, but we're going international with this thing. And and because there's so much has been happening that we've been able to get a hold of, we've got some interviews with with people from literally around the world that are going to just take your breath away. Um, it, it really is amazing. I'm I'm so proud to be working with James Fox because he has a real keen sense of knowing what he wants to see as a final product, as a final vision. And we have been interviewing people, getting exclusive interviews with folks who have been in the news. Uh, and, and the things that they have told us is pretty startling that, that you haven't heard from them saying these same kinds of things in the past. And I'm trying not to give, <laughs> give too much away, um, but, but I, I will say that, the, as you know, Going back to the 1940s, there's always been a contradiction between what the public has been told about UFOs and what has been quietly, officially determined going on behind closed doors. Mm. And and that's that's what we're kind of aiming at. We we're we're very concerned about you know who's who's in control of what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. And 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 we think that it's it's not so much that that the government has been either lying or just covering up or the, all the conspiracies. We are more concerned about how the nations of the world haven't really come clean about UFOs because of the possibility that they just don't know the answers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. You know, people want to want 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 to get. You hear all people constantly claiming, "Why haven't everybody come clean? Why hasn't there been disclosure? Why haven't UFOs landed uh, on the White House lawn or in front of the Kremlin? What what's wrong? Why is there too much secrecy?" Well, you know, from what we are researching and uncovering, there are plenty of reasons for secrecy, and. I'm of the mind now. I didn't used to be. Uh, but now I can kind of understand why 
not all of the information has been leaked or, or given to the public. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I only know this now from the people we've been talking to. Right. And, 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 and this has really opened up my eyes um, to what's kind of going on. I mean, one, one very highly placed politician, and I will not mention his name, be, because it'll be kind of a surprise when people see him in our documentary. But but he, he said to us, you know, most if not all presidents are not in the loop about what's really going on about UFOs. When they're elected, they are elected to be basically the executives or the executors of the country, deal with the business of the country and the business of of relationships with other countries and and all of that, but but the presidents apparently don't know, or they don't have a need to know. They don't have a high enough security clearance to know what's really happening with UFOs. And and and, and in fact, I'll, I'll I'll even give you this bit. We're going to show a video because we didn't do the interview ourselves. This was done several years ago of Bill Clinton. Um, when he was on stage uh, at a presentation in Hong Kong, I believe. Ooh, I love that video. Yeah, it's really something. And and someone asked him from the audience, someone said, what can you tell us about uh, Area 51 or what really happened at Roswell? And, and Clinton d- didn't make fun of it uh, like he did a year or two ago on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show. He actually said, and you can just... Look at the video, and he says, you know, I wouldn't be the first president whose staff or underlings kept information from him and just waited me out until I was out of office, and then they started up again with the next guy to come into office. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a statement. I think that is an important statement, and that concept as well, that information is kept from high-level people in the government sometimes even to protect them um you know as as far as um you know deniability goes that that they are kept in the dark so that they if something should happen they can say i didn't know and and honestly reply i didn't know cuz they weren't told and sometimes it's in the spirit of protection that um that information is not given to them but you know it's funny because being journalists, um, it's when you things are always much more complicated than they appear to be on the surface, right? And and I don't know if you feel this way as well, but um, when you start to dig and and figure out what's going on, it's so complicated and difficult, and there's so many difficult decisions that have to be made, that often it feels like, and I feel like this, that I'm going to cover what I can, I'm going to try to share whatever I can get um, um, cleared to be shared, and... Uh, thank goodness I'm not the one making the decisions, and it and you you become less judgmental because it's like these are really difficult decisions to make. Right, and and you, you know, p- part of this picture that can be very frustrating is when you consider not just the hard nosed skeptics, 
but the debunkers who continually ongoing maintain that there's nothing there that should be looked at. There's nothing worthy of any scientific investigation. The people who are making these reports are either mistaking planetary objects or weather um, inversions or, or manifestations. And people are just, they're just not really getting the idea that there, there can't possibly be any visitation from afar happening to planet Earth. And it's important to them because they, they know they're getting away with it because all they have to do is say, well, where's the evidence? Show me something. Show me a ship. Show me, show me a creature. Show me, you know, anything. And they know that, that that's a very difficult thing to come up with. And, and then they maintain, well, you can't really keep something like this secret. Well, you can. Our, our friend Stan Friedman, the nuclear physicist, Love, loves to tell people that there were thousands of people involved with the uh, with the creation of like the first atomic bombs, and everybody was sworn to secrecy, which is why it was kept secret, and nobody leaked out that information before we used the atomic bombs. So yeah, you can keep something secret if if you do it the right way. You know, and. We have a great example of that in this Pentagon program that Luis Elizondo mm. worked for. And mm -hmm. I think it's the perfect example because this is kind of the, the untold story or at least the the less of a deal is made about this. We didn't know. You and I have interviewed people who were part of Bass, of Bigelow. Right. We knew about Bass. Not even very many people knew Bigelow had this group, Bass, that was looking into the paranormal. Right. We worked with and interviewed people, were very close, even friends with some of these people who were in the know or who were even contracted to do this, and we had no clue. Even people who were... Um, possibly or probably even received funding from Bass. Well, I know that did receive funding from Bass and were working on these projects that they didn't even know. It's a perfect example that this group was, this UFO project was going on and interacting with all of us, and we had no clue that this government uh, UFO thing was going on. Yeah, it, it's like you and I both know very well uh, Chuck Halt, for example, um, re retired Air Force. Um, I, I forget what his final rank was, but he was one of the people, one of the eyewitnesses. He was very involved with the Bentwaters uh, England UFO event of, was it 1980 or was it 89? I forget the date offhand. But there was like a series of events at that dual Air Force base uh, in the United Kingdom where many military eyewitnesses had close encounters with some amazing things going on in and out of the woods in the area and and Chuck Holt was was one of them and and he now has said that that there was so much going on there that now um he said for any people any people in the public who think that who believes that there's nothing to UFOs and that the United States or other governments are, are not studying this stuff at all. You're completely naive to think that, he says. He says, of course, there is behind the scenes ongoing research and investigation 
uh, happening. And, and part of the problem is that there's so many little compartmentalized divisions that are looking into different aspects of it that one hand doesn't know what the other hand is looking into. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of the problem. It, it's a much bigger thing than people realize. It, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. I keep coming back to the final speech that Dwight Eisenhower uh, made, his, his last speech in office when he was saying goodbye to the presidency and to the public. Mm. And, he, and he warned everybody to be aware of the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a famous quote. And, and he knew what he was talking about. And now we see that really the military is so much more powerful than it ever used to be. And it's hard to get around be, because they, they don't want to share information with other countries. Why should they? Everybody wants to be the best. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to have the best stealth bombers. Well, why do we need stealth bombers? Because we don't trust anybody. <laughs> yeah. And they don't trust us. That's the problem. People, people say, well, why, why won't the, why won't the, why won't ET visitors come down and make friends with us? Well, why should they? Mm-hmm. I mean, there must, if they're out there, they must be smart, smart enough to, to know what kind of people we are, and wh- why would they want to invite us to be part of their their collective club or their their federation? All we are is a warmongering species down there. Y- you know, they don't want to play with us. And. But- you know, another story that I think is really important um, that you touched on here uh, mm-hmm. just now is that uh, that you're including is this idea uh, what you said prior earlier is that, you know, there is much more going on behind the scenes than people realize in that uh, publicly the government, the military is like, oh, UFOs are silly. We don't care about any of that stuff. But behind the scenes there are debates and struggles and and we know that more about that and and like you said you're you've got interviews that are going to demonstrate this as well that yes. this has not been Charles Hodge is a good example but this has not been a question that has been definitively answered behind the scenes there's still movement and debate and um even dollars being spent on all this oh yeah and and dollars that that may or may not be out of our tax dollars, uh, the whole the whole black budget of of like just the United States government. Who knows how much money they're spending? I mean, the whole Pentagon uh, thing that you talked about was it twenty two million dollars that that was initially raised? I mean, that's not a lot of money uh, to spend on a on on several year study of UFOs. Uh, I mean, most people know that the government spends money like they could spend like a million dollars on a toilet seat <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and 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 not think anything uh, about it so it's where the money goes it's where the money came from and once they learn different things um how do they decide what if anything they want to to give out to the public to demonstrate transparency in the government everybody talks about why isn't the government being transparent the 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 problem i see here is people have to start realizing it's not just the american government that's involved with this We're, we're talking about uh most countries around the world 
have been inundated with UFOs for decades. And, and what leader of any country on earth is willing to make a statement to tell his or her citizens that there are things that are flying around in our skies and, and, and they're able to, I mean, with flight characteristics that clearly demonstrate some technology that's light years in advance of any country on earth. They have the ability to accelerate from a standstill. They can go out of sight in the blink of an eye. They can do right angle turns at high speed. And all of this without any visible means of propulsion or wings or air disturbance or noise. We don't have anything like that. So why would any leader want to say to the populations of their countries, yes, there are things in, in the atmosphere above our country we can't touch them. We've sent jets up, jets up to intercept them. We can't get really close to them. They outmaneuver everything we have. Um, we're, we realize that we're supposed to protect the airspace above our country and to protect you, our citizens. But we're sorry. We don't have an explanation for this. And so we can't tell you what we think they might be. That's tough. I mean, that's a tough decision that leaders have to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, really? This, this is far more complex and complicated than people think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it, it is. It's just far more complicated. And that's what's wonderful about what um, James Fox does. I mean, mm. he's got some of the best documentaries out there with I Know What I Saw and Out of the Blue. Yeah. And that's what's exciting about what you all are doing with this documentary because you're tackling you know this um complicated world and you are penetrating these kind of government firewalls really and in order to get interviews and information out to the public that in a concise and digestible way um and i say all this you having not seen the documentary, but knowing your work and James's work and and some of who you've talked to, um, so it it's actually it's very very exciting. And people were excited with seven hundred one, but this is much more exciting than the scope of seven hundred one. Uh, this is for the here and the now in today's world, and I almost like kind of a stat check. Here we are with UFOs today. Yeah, um, and and I will tease you with something. Ooh, um, James would probably slap me on the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> but he's on his way to China right now, so he can't he's, reach out and hit me. <laughs> he's too busy to listen to the podcast. So, <laughs> I I will I will give you this, but without more details. Um, you, you mentioned before that I I had put together this presentation at the United Nations in 1978, which, which featured speakers, uh, and this is something that is easy to find on the internet, of uh, J. Allen Hynek, Jacques Vallée, uh, Stanton Friedman, um, Army, Army Lieutenant Colonel Larry Coyne, who was the commander of a four-man helicopter crew uh, who almost had a near collision with a UFO 
over Ohio in 1973, that was one of the cases that really flipped me around and got me really interested in this whole subject because that was such a credible case. And it's, it's held up over all of these years because of who these men were and what they experienced. And so, and I was able to get Colonel Coyne to, to come to the United Nations mm-hmm. uh, and, and to tell his story. You got and, a minute to make your point, just so you know. Uh, okay. Um, what I'm saying is people are going to see in this documentary, we are finally going to show some footage from that United Nations presentation. Mm. It, it, people, and including myself, have been looking for this footage for 40 years, and we have found it. Which is so exciting because Open Minds, to plug us, .tv, yes. we're so far the only ones with footage, but it's super 16 or 16 millimeter. It's kind of funky. It's got that Stranger Things kind of vibe. But you're talking <laughs> yeah. about professionally shot stuff oh, here. Oh, yeah. What, what Open Minds had was about a minute and 15 of only some visual excerpts and no sound. Yeah. Right. What, what we've got is the real thing. Whoa, the real I'm, deal, Holyfield. And, and, and so, I, I'm I'm so excited to even present small. We got to go to it. break. Okay. So thank you. Good drop going into the break. So you're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio, and we're talking to Lee Spiegel, and we'll be right back after this break. UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we are here with one of my best friends in the world, Lee Spiegel, um, also one of my favorite UFO writers, researchers, uh, just UFO dudes. <laughs> UFO dude. I like that. I should put that on, I should put that on a t-shirt and have it say, I'm a UFO dude. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. Well, thank you for that. You're, you, and you know, you're one of my all-time favorite people in or out of the UFO world. Oh, well, thank you very much. Sure. So, um, this is fun. So, you're friends with uh, Jacques Vallée. I am. And um, you uh, speak to him occasionally. And I guess uh, he's going to be interviewed in the documentary. Oh, yes. We, we've already done our interview with, uh, with Jacques. And, 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 and he was very gracious uh, to uh, to agree to the interview, uh, he he had a lot of things to say uh, that I think he's been thinking about for many years because he he doesn't do very many interviews uh, or or even show up at many UFO conferences or symposia, um, and so he wanted to 
to talk about some things that that go back historically for him uh, decades. And we we were happy to talk with him. And and again, like like many of the people in our program, uh, he will will be saying some things that are pretty startling, as are most of the people uh, that are in our show. Uh, it, it's amazing. James Fox and I will be sitting there at the editing screen and we'll be going over all the interviews that we've done so far. And and no matter how many times we look at these things over and over again, we're still amazed at what we're hearing <laughs> from from these people. It, it, it's like, you know, pinch me, pinch me. This can't be real stuff, but it is real stuff. And, and that's why I got involved with this presentation because – because it's James Fox and I respect and I admire him. And when he asked me to come on board to be part of this presentation, I said, yes, of course, let's work it out. And now we've been working on this for together for just over a year. So yeah, it's, um, it, it's a great experience for me because I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can see, we both have the vision of what this is going to look like when it's all done, all edited um, and we're, we're very happy with how it's moving along right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of fun because Jacques has, has come up at least for me more frequently. Um, he, I think he's a very important figure and especially with, uh, JL and Heineck getting so much more attention these days. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jacques, of course, being his kind of protege. How old is Jacques now? I think he's 79. Really? Yeah. So, and he is held up so well. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's, he's, he's really amazing. I, I, I was just talking to him the other day, and I said, how are you feeling? He said, well, uh, uh, okay. And I said, well, no, I, I don't want to hear okay. I, I always want you to tell me you're feeling excellent. He said, he said okay, I'm feeling excellent today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's really... Um, uh, just physically, he seems to be doing very well, um, yeah. and he, and he's got a lot of energy and spunk. And the reason I say that is because you know he's commented on a couple things lately, and uh, in particular, uh, and I do want to talk about this um, Blue Book. So this new movie's yeah. coming out. Of course, you knew um, Heineck, and uh, you also, you know, in this UN thing, you worked with him and many other things. You've interviewed him. Um, you, you and Jacques and he went to go visit Spielberg in that incident that I mentioned earlier, your Spielberg encounter. But uh, <laughs> and of course, if people want to see Lee talking about this, you can go to our Open Minds YouTube and uh, we have a great YouTube where Lee kind of talks about that whole encounter. But this Project Blue Book, I think this is really exciting that, you know, Heineck is being a central character. And I, I wrote this in my story on Den of Geek about Project Blue Book, is it feels like something's right in the universe when what I think is kind of the first, to me, real major follow-up to the X-Files fame is this UFO project by history that has yeah. Heineck and real blue book files. Of course, they're going to dra dramatize things and everything. Right. Um, but having seen the recent trailer, and I know you've been uh, paying attention to this upcoming show, what do you think? I I think that it's okay. You know, it's not being presented as a documentary. 
it's being presented as a drama series. And so I already kind of figure that liberties will be taken to increase the drama of it. Uh, I mean, I've always said when it comes to UFO things, you don't have to do that. You don't have to over enhance the drama because by, by its very nature, a lot of UFO stories are very dramatic. You don't have to add any any extras to it. Mm-hmm. And and from what I've seen in the trailer, I I I have the feeling that they're going to go overboard a little bit. But I, I think that what will happen is the, the the viewers will really be attracted to it uh, because it looks like the production values are pretty high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that it's, it's being brought to us by Robert Zemeckis. Who gave us all, all three installments right. of Back Back to the Future, and uh, Contact. Uh, I so I I think, and I'm a big admirer of his work, and I, mm-hmm. I think that that it, it'll be okay for it to be dramatic as as long as they don't go way overboard. Yeah, because I I hope that their their purpose is not to try and get the public to believe. For example, that maybe Dr. Hynek was shown uh, alien bodies floating in formaldehyde tubes, mm-hmm. you, you know, or, or stuff like that. I, I don't think that they're going to pay uh, as much attention to the facts and just the facts. I, I think it, it's entertainment. They, they want to attract a big audience. I think they're going to get an audience. I'm going to watch it. I know you will. Um, oh, yeah. Even our, our, our mutual friend, George Knapp. The the multi Emmy award winning news reporter from KLAS TV in in uh, Las Vegas he's going to watch it he's already <laughs> how do you know he, that because <laughs> because he he wrote on on uh, an email the other day oh yeah uh, in, in which he, in which he said um, th- that that even though many people feel like it's been a long time since the History Channel actually dealt with history. <laughs> he, he said, this, this upcoming show, he said, it's not a documentary. It's drama, so you can expect that they're going to take liberties. Uh, and, then, and then he went on to say, but this trailer is very cool, and you know I'm going to watch this thing. Yeah, so, you know. So, yeah. Everything's been taken over by reality TV, and it is nice that History Channel is going to get back to doing some history, just like National Geographic has Mm. gotten back to doing some science and history, um, which to me is really exciting. Uh, Of course, I get to be involved with a lot of these things they're promoting, but like, of course, Cosmos, Mars, um, the whole Genius series. I don't know if you've watched those, but they're... Vikings, um, they're all really good programs and for the most part educational. Now, with Blue Book, I have a little bit of a different perspective on the dramatizing of these UFO events. And, it, and it's because of Travis Walton. Travis Walton's uh. of what happened on the craft in the movie is complete BS. I mean, it, it's totally made up. And that's, I think, an example of going too far. But being the gracious person he is, uh, he makes a point that it does, though, um, portray the fear, the sheer terror that he felt um, at that moment or he remembers feeling. And so uh, 
it looks like for the most part they're going to stick in Blue Book to how the cases occurred, but of course dramatize them, which might be good because no doubt, you know, you know this also from speaking to witnesses, when people experience something that they can't explain, it is a very emotional, dramatic experience. It is. And and one of the things that I always like to caution people about is, is that when they do have the nerve to come forward <laughs> and, and, and admit that they've had some kind of an experience, uh, it's really important that, that the skeptics and the debunkers should not just come crawling out of the wall again and start saying things that will ridicule these eyewitnesses. We don't need ridicule in, in this category of UFOs. It's, it, it's just not a good thing. It doesn't serve any purpose. If, if you don't believe something happened to someone, fine, that's your opinion. But don't go out of your way to ridicule their stories. Um, I, I, I like to say, I think that there's one very important truth about everything involved with UFOs, everything. I, I can very clearly state that the one important truth that covers it all is this. No matter what kind of UFO case we're talking about, no matter what you, if you believe or don't believe, everybody has an opinion. <laughs> and that's the, the, the most simple, honest, ongoing truth. That's the truth. Everybody has an opinion and how they share these opinions with with themselves, with their friends, with the rest of the world, that's really important because words can change and can affect a lot of people. And so I, I always like to hope that people are going to share their opinions in the best non-ridicule way when it comes to UFO eyewitnesses. That's really important. You know what? And what you're saying is more prescient today than ever, um, especially given, you know, and I, I feel bad for them. And of course, you and I have had to deal with this for years and, and we've come to, well, uh, I was going to say we've come to peace with it, but not necessarily uh, probably right. you more so than me. Get, get yeah. you know, it, it gets under our skin. But, you know, all of these celebrities who like this poor Star Wars actress who just because she's a young Asian person and people felt that she was, uh, you know, it was it was silly to add her to the Star Wars um, canon. They they attack her with racist attacks and just, you know, her personally. It wasn't even her decision to create this character, of which I think she did a great job personally, and I love the character myself. And so she um, cancels her account. Um, it's happened with, uh, you know, in, in actually Comic-Con this year, there were several different controversies like this that caused these actors or actresses to cancel their um, accounts. And so many people who are in the public eye don't even get on social media because people are so mean. Mm, yes. <clears throat> yeah. And, and th there's there's no reason for it. There's no good place for it. Um, it doesn't belong in any kind of social media. I, I, I think that, that if people have nothing good to say or nothing positive or constructive or supportive to say, 
to people or about people who are just trying to get on with their lives with or without close encounters, if you don't have anything good to say, just shut up. Or if you want to go complain, go to some forum where everybody's complaining. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of that stuff out there. You don't you don't have to just make it your mission to put someone down simply because you don't believe that 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 their story is real or you don't believe that they they should that they were in this movie because they're of a particular ethnic background. You know, it's not your place to say opinions should not hold that much weight, mm-hmm. I believe. Except for Jacques. Except for Jacques. <laughs> Getting back to Jacques' opinions um, <laughs> in that. But he, of course, is not bashing people. He's being very respectful. He has concerns about the accuracy when uh, of this new program, especially when they say things like um, that, you know, they're – the blue book was top secret when it wasn't um and some details like that which i can understand those concerns at the same time heineck didn't like close encounters for those same reasons and you and i have discussed this before um whereas i love close encounters i'm i'm very excited about blue book and i i think potentially and so uh, as a researcher you know someone who spent your life to um, try to decipher what happened and document as accurately as possible these events. When you've worked so hard to obtain that accuracy, that level of of you know you're trying to get perfect accuracy, I can see how it'd be frustrating when people screw with that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, and I see examples of this. Maybe you do too. Every day. When I when I read r- reviews, book reviews, or movie reviews by people who who shouldn't be writing these kinds of things because they're, <laughs> they're they're not dealing with the facts or or they don't seem to care about what they're writing about. They're just they're just putting words together, uh, thinking that it makes sense. And and I get really frustrated because when I worked at Huffington Post. Um, I wasn't just a writer. I was a copy editor as well. And and so I, I developed this this knack or this instinct of reading other people's stories. And part of my job was to correct or make suggestions of how something could could read better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's so much of this non-good editing stuff floating around everywhere in journalism. Oh, everywhere. Oh yeah, uh, it's 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 amazing, and and what I like about you is that you you at least you you come across in your work as someone who cares about what he's writing about. You're, you're not you're not just pulling ideas from this place and that place for the sheer joy of ridiculing someone or pulling something apart. You're actually coming across like. You've looked into this. You've you've made calls. You've done interviews, and 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 you have formed a valid opinion about what you're writing about. Most people who write this kind of stuff, they don't do the legwork as well as you do. Well, thank you very much. Of course, I know that the same is true of you, even more so. I mean, you're even more adamant about making sure you get firsthand. Um, interviews when you write a piece um, yeah. and 
you know, you're part of the old guard, the old school where you, of journalism, where you have original, you know, pieces that sufficiently tell the story. Yeah. And, and it's just journalism, as you know, is really tough these days. I mean, I visited that Huffington Post office and it was largely mostly 20 year 20 people in their 20s and i mean people around 20 years old maybe even yeah. less i mean and it, <laughs> yeah. it's this quick hit it's this very few words get the information out as quickly as possible and it's just journalism is in a hard space right now with everything online where it's it's kind of like you know uh the old west everybody's still trying to make it up and figure out this this new digital world of relaying information which used to be you know the realm of of journalism and publications um mm -hmm. and it's all changed so yeah and i think that it's hard but i agree with you know you're a good mentor and so is george knapp that you have to do your due diligence you have to do the research and um i like to i don't feel comfortable writing about something unless i understand it so i've got to do the right. research and right. until it makes sense and once it makes sense be like oh okay now i get it now i have a perspective um, now I can, you know, lay something down. Yeah. What, one of the problems that's come along in journalism over the years and you, and you know, cause you've been part of this, uh, is this whole concept of blogging. Yeah. Oh man. People feel like, wow, I can become a blogger, which means I'm not going to be working for the company that I'm blogging for. So I can write whatever I want and I, nobody's going to proofread what I write. So if I make mistakes, nobody's going to know. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's running rampant throughout the world of journalism. That yeah. that's, that's a big problem. So uh, we're running out of time, but for okay. journalists who uh, budding journalists or bloggers out there, visit a site called Grammarly. It saves my butt. <laughs> um, and it's an awesome site that will actually help proofread your document, even if you have an editor. It's good to do this first because it also helps you in, um, you know, w placement of your words and, and, and everything to make sure that you're being as clear and concise as possible. So it's a great yeah. site. I recommend it to anybody. But we're pretty much out of time. Uh, when do you feel the audience might be able to get their first look at the new documentary uh, with no name. Well, because <laughs> it doesn't have a name yet, right? Well, we have a working title, but oh, we're not okay. even—we're not even um, letting that out yet because because we made we may decide to keep it. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we actually have like a, a growing list of of some, <laughs> of some possible it's titles like a we, baby because baby name list. Yeah, we want to make sure that it's a it's a really good title. We right now we're on on track of of having uh, a rough cut of the of the completed program by mid to late September. So that's right around the corner. That and, is, and, and and we certainly want to put a trailer together, and we will. Uh, I, I I can't wait to see the trailer uh, because there are so many individual segments that we're working with and so many images that are in, in my mind every day of what we can put uh into this uh into this trailer uh, but I, I will i will just say this it's a little bit of a tease the opening four minutes of our program is going to blow people away <laughs> i believe it i am so excited about it so thank you once again for uh being on the show lee Oh, thank you, Alejandro. Always a pleasure.
Thank you so much to Lee Spiegel for being on the show once again. He's always so much fun. And um, how amazing does this documentary look? Pretty dang cool. And I want to say, you know, um, there is so much. That's what's fun talking to Lee today and why I wanted to talk to him. There's so much exciting stuff going on. Uh, when it comes to UFO research and, and and the whole idea of this mystery being legit, um, getting credibility, there are a lot of people in some circles saying there's nothing going on, that it's bland and stagnant, and that is so much not the case. This is historic stuff that we're we're dealing with right now. This is really game changing stuff, and and I think that you know uh, a lot of people have subscribed to certain worldviews, and and they feel that if if that doesn't get acknowledged, then they're frustrated. But you know what? This is how science, this is how the mainstream works. It's got to work slow. You got to build on very strong, you know, um, foundation to really get something to have legs and to make a big difference. And that's what's happening right now. So I think it's an exciting time. Uh, I'm really excited about all of this. So it's a lot of fun to talk to people like Lee who have been around for so long and working on this for so long to check all this stuff out. I want to talk about the UFO Congress also, UFOcongress.com. Go there. There's some really cool stuff. We have these glow-in-the-dark alien hats. Also, the really cool um, UFO Congress trucker hats. We've got more in stock and a lot more T-shirts, especially the black T-shirts with the aliens and stuff. Really, really cool stuff. We've been going to some conferences and selling at, at things, and our stuff is super popular, especially, as you can imagine, a glow-in-the-dark alien hat. I mean, come on. Uh, they are really, really cool. In fact, we'll get some more glow-in-the-dark stuff coming up, too. We also have some videos. So we posted some free videos. We posted some videos of UFO Jeopardy, which is a lot of fun. So those are some UFO researchers, and we all get together and do, like, this Jeopardy game. They're really fun. They're really funny. So I hope you like those out. Check out the UFO Congress YouTube for that. And otherwise, yeah, like I said, the store's got lots of new stuff, and we're putting out new stuff all the time. Also, you can go to openminds.tv to read some about the news that Martin and I talked about, and you you can also go to openminds.tv to see some of those videos uh, that I mentioned and my own UFO sighting. In fact, uh, go to my Facebook to see the Facebook Live of the Blue Book event and everything. So uh, check out my social media for that as well. Anyway, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. Thank you to um, Systematics for the bumper music. And thank you to Martin Willis of Podcast UFO for joining us at the beginning. You all have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you soon. Adios, muchachos.